Howdy, y'all. Hope y'all are having a great week here. I got a quick announcement for you. Um, I just wanted to let y'all know that the Seek Outside team is going to be attending a few trade shows this summer. And I just wanted to tell you guys this, uh, for those who are not like in Colorado or have not seen our teepees before, this is a great chance to go check out a, a tent um, and kind of see the space, see the material, see it up close and in person. So uh, we're going to be attending the Overland Expo shows this summer. Uh, awesome, awesome trade show. Um, really cool camping gear that they have there. Um, so anybody out on the East Coast, uh, we're going to be out there. We're going to be in uh, Bend, Oregon. We're going to be in Loveland, Colorado, and Arrington, Virginia. Uh, the dates for those are Bend is July 8th through the 10th. Uh, Loveland is August 26th through the 28th. And Arrington, Virginia is the October 7th through the 9th. Um, all those dates and info, uh, you can get online. Just search Overland Expo. You'll see everything that you need to know there. But yeah, come check us out, guys. We'd love to love to show y'all what we got over there. So um, yeah, without further ado, we are talking to Lydia Parker of the organization Hunters of Color. Uh, this was a cool podcast that we did at BHA. We kind of got into some of the, the dynamics of, you know, race and and uh, getting folks outdoors, you know, making sure that the outdoors is a space for, for everybody to have fun in. Um, so this was, we, we talked about some, some pretty, not hot, but, uh, interesting subjects. So hope, hopefully you all like it. Um, but yeah, enjoy this podcast and we will talk to you next week. Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Some people are just wired that way. It's almost oh, a light brownish mm -hmm. with a lot of spires. Oh, interesting. And, and, and like things like that. Oh. And it's real kind of pointy in areas. Yeah. But it's like. So the coaches, stronghold coaches, went in there. Uh -huh. and we probably use this as a podcast. Anyway. It's rolling right now. Okay. Oh, um, here we go. We're good. <laughs> it really, from what, from my understanding, um, <coughs> is that he hung out in there for mm -hmm. years upon years upon years. Mm -hmm. and it was very hard for the U.S. Army to oh, root them out. Interesting. And when you go in there and you just think like, oh yeah, it's, it's okay to swear on our podcast. You'd, as a white guy, yeah. you'd be totally fucked in here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, you know? Yeah, no. You know? Interesting. You know, yeah, a white guy walking through this canyon, going up through all these rock formations that like, uh -oh. kind of blend in. Yeah, yeah, you'd, yeah. you'd be kind of screwed. That's yeah. funny. i got to look that up. I don't know that area or history at all. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then apparently, I mean, it was a big deal. Um, unfortunately, one of, I guess, Kochi's tribe members mm -hmm. turned against him and oh. helped the U.S. government. Man. Um, yeah. Wow. And then he got stuck on some. I could be wrong. So people check the history, and my memory isn't always that good. <laughs> uh, but I do. I believe that he got. He was supposed to get sent to a reservation that was relatively close, and they shipped him to like Florida or some shit mm. just to be dicks. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's not like the U.S. government hasn't ever been known for being dicks to people. <laughs> um, they're pretty. They're, that's probably the second. 
uh, thing that they're known for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First thing is not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. So anyway, um, yeah. we have Lydia Parker, mm-hmm. and you are with Hunters of Color. Yes. And um, we were chatting a little bit ago. We have some people that we kind of know in common, like mm-hmm. Dylan Ayers mm-hmm. from Eat Wild. Shout um, out to Dylan. <laughs> yeah. Dylan is a hoot. Um, <coughs> you know, and you get that good Canadian accent and a couple things of whiskey going. Mm. Doing a eh. podcast with him. Eh? Yep. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um, so, anyway, tell us a bit about what you do. Okay, yeah. Sego, Sego, Welcome to all doing Lydia on Cots. Hi, my name is Lydia, and I'm the executive director of Hunters of Color. Um, Wait, I hold up. Was that what? Was that Native American or what? what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, so that is Ganyenke, and it's uh, our language. We're, I'm from the Ganyenke Aka, um, Walker Mohawk Band of Six Nations of the Grand River, which is actually in Ontario. So it was funny when uh, I met you earlier, Kevin, you walked up and you're like, hey, are you guys Canadian? And I was like, well, sort of. <laughs> Why do you ask? Um, but, yeah, uh, the more the more common name for my tribe, Ganyenke Aka, is uh, Mohawk. And so most people have heard of the Mohawks and uh, Walker Mohawk Band. Um, but yeah, that's Ganyanke. I just I mean a little welcome. Um, and I think it's uh, important if you know your language. I only, I mean, I can introduce myself. I know some, I can have a little brief conversation and I know a lot of songs and, you know, prayers and stuff. But I think it's really important if you can keep something alive to, you know, try to practice it. Same with hunting, you know, same right, with any right, of that. Right, right, right. So how do you greet someone? In your native language. Um, so I said, Sego, Sego, which is hi, hello, everyone. Um, but if I were to, you know, talking to someone one-on-one, um, I would say, Sego, um, it's going to go okay, which is um, hello. Uh, does I think it literally translates, do you carry the peace? Um, we we talk a lot about the, the great peacemaker who brought... Um, I'm sure everyone's heard of the Iroquois Confederacy. Um, we say Haudenosaunee, uh, Haudenosaunee peoples, people of the Longhouse, together um, under one, basically a system of federalism. I don't know if we talked about this earlier, but we did not. Yeah, but it's really interesting, actually. There are some backhanded compliments from Benjamin Franklin, actually, <laughs> um, some of the founding fathers talking about, you know, if the savages can do it, so can we. When talking about a system of federalism, when talking about how to build um, the United States as, uh, you know, one a sovereign nation with many, many states, um, because we are now six nations. Uh, like I said, the Tuscarora were added later, but um, but originally five nations brought together under one confederacy, and we were the strongest, and still are, <laughs> very much so, a strong um, confederacy and the oldest operating um, uh, democracy still operating because that was i mean a thousand elders say a thousand to five five hundred years before columbus that really? we really yeah. nice so yeah. you guys you guys had it all going on and we just kind of came in here and co-opted <laughs> yeah, co- there we co-opted go. all your good ideas yeah, federalism uh, hunting you know uh, so <laughs> so um so how did hunters of color get started well it uh started with an idea um from actually Jimmy Flat, who's over there too. He's our program coordinator and a co-founder um, because he was eight years old the first time he went hunting. Um, his parents are immigrants. His mom's from Venezuela and his dad's side of the family's from the Philippines. And um, his dad's side of the family didn't hunt, but his mom's side of the family hunted a ton in, the, in, uh, in Venezuela. But when they moved to the U.S., they stopped. And I don't know if it was, um, you know, coming over as an immigrant, you know, not wanting to, not not wanting to appear um, to 
have too much free time. You know, you want to show you're a hard worker, that you're committed to becoming part of the nation, the country, that kind of thing. Um, and or like language barriers too. A lot of a lot of hunting and fishing regulations aren't translated into Spanish. You know, that's a good point. Yeah, and so it's a huge barrier. They're already hard to read if you're like reading English. Oh no, I know. I got a. I put in for a, a cow tag, um, elk an elk cow tag in Wyoming this year, and I was like so stressed out trying to figure out Wyoming system and yeah. reading through the all of it and then i was like wow can you imagine if this was a second language you know how yeah, hard that would, would be, be tough. Yeah. yeah would you mind just moving that mic just a little bit away from your mouth oh yeah, yeah there, sorry there we go. spitting on it oh uh, you it, it's just a little deep <laughs> deep little sound bit. but sorry no, no, i didn't, no, no didn't mean to interrupt you there <laughs> no um, but no yeah no that's a good point i mean it yeah. like uh, that makes sense as to why no you know yeah i mean they're hard to read if you're reading them in english absolutely for sure, so. yeah and so and we've all experienced that kind of thing you know just trying to figure out how making sure we're doing things legally doing things the right way um but yeah so jimmy was eight years old when a friend of a family took him out um and he was shivering in waders that were too big for him looking next to the dogs who were shivering he always tells the story that he was like why am i here i hate this and then a couple ducks started to cup in and he was like Oh, wait. And he saw okay. the dogs, the dogs, you know, tensed up and were got a little birdie and were ready. Uh, and so anyways, he fell in love with hunting then. But then he, he was from the San Francisco Bay Area, which is the second most diverse area in the nation, uh, second to New York only. And but he said when he'd go out hunting, all that diversity disappeared. And he was like, what the heck? <laughs> he would try to get his buddies out um, hunting. Uh, one of his best friends, Raul, he calls him his brother. And Raul would say, nah, man, we don't do that. That's not something we do. Um, and it was just like this weird ingrained, and I've heard it a lot, you know. Oh, you hunt? Like, that's a white person thing. And people will say that still to this day. And it's so frustrating because we need all of us in conservation, first of all. Second of all, our motto is the outdoors are for everyone, right? Like, we right, all right. need to be accessing. And then sustainable meat, um, connection to nature, all of the above, which we talked about a little bit. So then Jimmy had that experience, uh, met myself, and then our co co-founder, the three of us, Thomas Tyner in, um, in college and Thomas is black. He grew up in Oregon um, and said that he was always the only black person he saw on the mountain. He never saw anyone else who looked like him reflected in uh, hunting in Oregon. And I'm indigenous, uh, as I, we, we talked about. Um, and my, so my dad's indigenous. My mom is white. And it was actually my mom's side of the family that hunted, not my dad's really? side. Yeah, because my, so my grandma left the Six Nations Reservation when she was pregnant with my dad. Um, and so she moved to California, actually, okay. which is how I ended up on the West Coast because all this is East Coast, you know, New York um, and Ontario. Um, but that's how we, we ended up on the West Coast. Um, and he grew up in Los Angeles where even like firearms, for example, Rue kind of shared a little bit of this last night. She grew up in Oakland. Um, but my, my dad grew up in Los Angeles where firearms weren't even necessarily um, seen in a positive light, you know, it wasn't yeah. a tool, a means to, as a means to an end to go hunting, you know, right. it might've been a weapon at that point. Um, and so to this day, he still has never put hands on a gun. He's never shot a gun. Um, but I was, I, and so I kind of had that two different perspectives. My mom's family, big Irish Catholic family, 14 kids in the house. <laughs> like they had to hunt in rural Oregon to feed the family and, and they fished. And, um, my grandpa was a great hunter. Um, and so I had these two really different perspectives. And then um, my dad, you know, losing that part of his culture. We talked about this earlier too, Kevin, um, what it means for indigenous children and youth, especially to have that identity, you know, as a connection to the land. Right. Um, and that 
desire that really is something I think ingrained in all humans to like be with nature. I think hunting is one of the most human things you can do. Uh, all of our ancestors did it at some point. And it's funny. I was listening to a podcast when we were driving here, mm-hmm. and um, the podcast was about prescribed that doctors are prescribing nature. Yeah. And apparently in Canada, it's actually like a fairly legit thing now. Like you can say, really? you need Ryan. Your problem is you need to spend more time out in nature, and I write you a prescription, and it gets you a national parks pass. Wow. Man, I gotta go to a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> well, that uh, can I get workers comp for that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and so to tie this into kind of like the hunters of color thing, um, you know, it's it's no secret the minorities in America probably if you look at the the income the you know household income yeah. it's it's much lower yeah i was talk- talking to ben graves um who works in delta county which is where we're at um in colorado mm. um and he he runs like a program that you know gives gear to oh, cool. underprivileged kids right cool and they did a study there and the study was uh like 75 percent i forget what the exact number was but um essentially the study found out that most like 75% of people weren't getting outdoors because, and we're in Grand Junction. Like it's not hard to get outdoors. They didn't have access to a bike. That was, that was the big thing that was keeping them from getting into the outdoors. So is is that kind of like what, what you guys are finding is a, is a big keeper from the outdoors of, of people of color? Yeah, absolutely. We talk about barriers all the time and really quick, I will address since you're bringing up um, statistic, statistical kind of things. Um, The, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, just to finish the founding story really quick, um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service does a demographic study um, every six years or so. We're still waiting on 2021, but uh, the 2016 study showed that hunting was 89% uh, male and 97% white. And so um, looking at the demographics of a country, that doesn't really add up, right? It doesn't make sense because clearly there's some reason that folks aren't getting outdoors. And so we set out Um, through Hunters of Color to look at some of those barriers and figure out what those were and then work to address them. And so one of the biggest things, like you were mentioning, um, well, we found found three key barriers, lack of exposure, knowledge, lack of access, and lack of resources. Um, And that, I'm sure, can be applied to so many communities, but especially for communities of color, if 97% of hunters are white and hunting is usually passed down through your circles of friends and family, usually familial, and paternalistic even um, passing down of of hunting then it makes sense that that wouldn't get passed to people of color that often um and then uh did you did you want to say something no i I, all i want to say is you move a million miles an hour oh do you need me to talk slower no 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 i I love it (laughs) no i love it man lots of of information yeah 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 yeah, Yeah. you're like a fire hose here (laughs) okay (laughs) good Uh, no i was like i can slow down i got i got two more statistics to throw no no people can always slow down the podcast yeah oh that's true just be you just be you oh okay good no no it's great um so then the um that's a, that's a lack of access uh, to exposure and knowledge, and you can't care about something you don't know about. It's the most rudimentary statement in the world, but it's completely true. Conservation, um, a certain species, if you, don't, if you don't know about it, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and so, anyways, we're working to address that through our mentorship program and our education program. Um, and then we have, or, and then the other barrier that I mentioned was um, lack of uh, access to land uh, and resources, and that 
can easily be shown. According to the USDA, 98% of all privately owned land is owned by white Americans, and you need land to be able to hunt. And so places like this, beautiful western states where we have public land, you can get outside, you can go hunting. Um, but in some states like Texas, like, you know, I was just talking to Trevor, our friend Trevor Stewart from Sitka, um, and it's it's so hard. We get people reaching out. Where do I go in Texas? I'm like, oh, who do you know? What? How much a money do you have? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, a different state. Different state. Seriously. Yeah. And yeah. then you. And then the last thing you mentioned um, is that is that financial gap, and that's the other um, another statistic that um, they say that 86 percent of the wealth is owned by white Americans. So that means that the other 14 percent is what we're working with. Um, and it isn't to say that all BIPOC are poor um, or people. When I say BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, People of Color, it changes. Mm-hmm whatever every couple years that BIPOC, term changes BIPOC, yeah. that's what you call it. yeah BIPOC is what we're saying okay. now who knows <laughs> in five years um but uh that means that BIPOC only have 14 percent of the wealth and I think a lot of that again is wrapped up in you know Jay-Z or Beyonce or <laughs> LeBron James like you know uh, that doesn't mean that I have any of that 14 right, percent yeah. of the yeah. wealth um <coughs> and you need that to be able to hunt too I mean yeah. we're both sitting here wearing Sitka you know well yeah that's <laughs> that's cheap. what I was gonna say I mean like hunting is probably like you know basketball or or a sport or something a hobby like that is super easy to get into right i mean basketball's 10 bucks at walmart i mean you're looking at a, a new hunting kit right it's it's easily going to run you over a thousand dollars when you throw the if rifle you in. live in a town all you really need is basketball mm-hmm. all you really need to do is show up the basketball court someone's going to be playing basketball yeah learning how to hunt is different and then i'm going to guess that there's a trust issue you yeah. know, so like, um, it's really better to pair mentor with like mentor or something because you probably trust a indigenous person much more. You know, I mean, trusting the the white guy who's not always been, you know, despite you know it might some guys might be or some people might yeah. be totally good at it, but oh, I yeah. mean it just doesn't you probably feel more comfortable um, with that. Even speaking in uh, terms of gender, too, like there's a lot of situations where, you know, you're crawling into a (laughs) ground blind and it's dark out. A a silex with another person. (laughs) (laughs) You probably probably want uh, somebody of your sex doing that. And so we totally, um, we always... We have in our mentorship program. We try to we ask folks, you know, do you prefer that someone is same gender? Do you prefer that someone of someone um, even who identifies as you? Because I know that um, some of our mentees are here. I don't know if you met Jacques or Brandon, uh, but Jacques is a mentee. Brandon's a mentor, and Jacques went on her first hunt ever. Brandon's been hunting his entire life, but they're both black. And um, at the at one of our hunts, that uh, Brandon's mentee at the time said, um, you know, Brandon, it's I'm so glad that you're my mentor as another black person because you had to go through some crap <laughs> so that I didn't have to. Um, right. You know, he created that space for her, that, you know, um, opportunity for her to feel safe um, and yeah. be with someone who gets it, you know. Well, it's it's interesting, just especially with like African-American folks, mm-hmm. um, you know, because the history of hunting in the South, I, I oh, yeah. lived in Georgia for a while. Okay. I mean most of the the guides down there were african-american slaves and so it's interesting that that didn't like translate to to what it is now you know because now it's all 
there's you know, a white folks. There's a really interesting book um, called Hunting and Fishing in the New South. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I listened to the Mediator podcast when yeah, they yeah, yeah. had that guy on. Yeah, Scotty That's Geltner. Cool. I think um, I think Jonathan from Black Duck Revival has had him on too. Um, but really interesting, and it kind of shows like some of those like how that didn't get translated, mm-hmm. right? And actually, according to that same demographic study that I mentioned earlier, um, the that whatever three percent of hunters of col- who hunters of color people of color who do hunt um the only black folks that show up in the demographic study are in the south um latinx or hispanic folks who show up in the study are in the midwest um and then there's like no statistical data for people of color hunting in the pacific northwest <laughs> um but yeah so it's not it's uh, not super surprising, obviously, that that, that that would be the case in Georgia. Yeah. Um, but Giltner talks about things like black codes um, that disallowed black folks from hunting certain species post-emancipation yeah. um, just because they were deemed too good um, or they needed to be saved. The species needed to be per- uh, saved for, um, you know, the non-black folks. And so that's where a lot of, um, you know, hunting for like squirrels and possums, rabbits, um, raccoons, that kind of thing. Um, and even Jonathan, who I mentioned a moment ago from Black Duck Revival, we went down um, to Arkansas to hunt with him this last year. Took nice. took a bunch of mentees, and they all went duck hunting for maybe uh, actually goose hunting for maybe the first first or second time for most of them. Um, but he made us raccoon sliders, uh, raccoon like pulled pork sliders, <laughs> and I I was a little bit you know squeamish. I was like, oh, I don't know. I see these things eating trash all the time. But it was really good, and he was like, I think it's important to try this because this is something that my family has had to hunt for a long time, and right, it was right. one of the only things we were allowed to hunt for a long time, so we know how to make it really good, Yeah, you know? Yeah. It's it's interesting because growing up, you know, living in Georgia for – I didn't grow up there, but living in Georgia for a little bit, uh-huh. the the use of, of – like, I worked at a barbecue restaurant, right, and our, our kind of head chef culinary director – uh, we just called her Mama. She was the sweetest lady out there. I hope she's listening. <laughs> love you, Mama. But um, and I love my my actual mom too. But, um, but yeah, no, yeah, you don't want to give a slide. I mean. <laughs> yeah, don't don't want to give that. She'll probably listen. But um, but no, uh, she, I mean she was always talking about like cooking that kind of stuff up, yeah. especially when she was a kid, you know. Yeah. And um, but it's interesting because I feel like, um, you know, it's not necessarily represent it's definitely not represented out west here right i mean i I don't know if i've ever seen a person of color out there Mm -mm. right um but it's in it's interesting just how culturally that's and and it's more than just hunting i mean yeah uh, yeah yeah, like i I know that if i go up on red mountain pass in the winter (coughs) to do some backcountry skiing uh, i hate to say it yeah i'm surprised if i see a black person out there yeah with Mm -hmm. you know three miles up you know, with a backcountry, it just yeah. is not something that you see that often. It's, yeah. it's My, uh, dominated by white people more than anything, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. One um, of my board members sent me a, she's at a ski, whatever, s- national skiing event right now. She sent me the demographics for that. And it says 87.5% identify as white alone. Um, 12, 12.3%, my eyes are so bad, sorry. 12.3% identify as other um, and so, yeah, it's yeah the same kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So, well, go ahead, go Kevin. Ahead. Yeah, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so... We'll, we'll kill each other with politeness. No, you. <laughs> <I insist. laughs> no, you. I Keep going. No. Um, so, so, what do you guys... Uh, obviously, mentorship, is that kind of your guys' main 
um, tactic in terms of getting people of color out in the woods? Yeah, that is the main uh, the main program that's up and running right now, and it's it's huge because if you like I said, if you don't have the that access, that exposure um, to the knowledge, to the help, you know, because you can you can teach yourself. And I'm, I'm, I am so impressed and proud of people who do take the time. And it's, a much, it's a steep curve. It is a steep curve. Um, and I don't think you should have to kill yourself to, to learn how to hunt. Um, you know, I think it's something that we all should be able to do. Um, and it's very, like I said, the most human thing to do. And so if you have somebody in your life that can help, or if you can help somebody else, you know, that is, I think, um, invaluable in so many ways. Um, but yeah, our mentorship program is is the biggest um, program right now. We're going to be active in 12 states by the end of this month. Um, what states? Let's see. Uh, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, um, California, New Mexico. Um, how many is there are you counting? Uh, uh, New, York. <laughs> New York. New uh, York, West Virginia, South Carolina, Kentucky. I might have missed one. No, you're the executive director, right? Yes, I'm the executive now, director. Now, how is it or is it organized like state chapters or is it all one down thing? Yeah, so right now we're right now we have one down um, but we are building communities is what we're calling them. They're essentially chapters, they'll function as chapters. Um, but as of right now, we just have the one 501c3, actually in Colorado and uh, Oregon. We actually have an employee in Gunnison, Colorado. Oh, you do? Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we don't live that far from there. Oh, no, very cool. Yeah, we'll have to get out on a hunt far. sometime. Yeah. yeah. She's actually a guide. She's really cool. <coughs> really? Yeah. Who is yeah. it? Um, well, she, she, sorry, I probably shouldn't say it like that. She is a, she works for Uncharted Outdoors Woman. I don't oh, know is you it know Gabriella? Them. Yeah, Gabriella. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I've. I've met her a couple times. Yeah. And, uh, I, I'm friends with her on social media. Oh, yeah. She's yeah, great. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. She's wonderful. She really gets after it. She's she a, does. She's a tiny little thing. She dude. is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's always funny meeting people in person for the first time, too. So many folks I know yeah. from social media that are here this week at Rendezvous, and I'm like, whoa, you're way taller than you're I thought. <laughs> Even you're you know, shorter. Mark Kenyon. For oh, yeah. some reason, for some reason, I thought he was super short. He got up on stage last night, and I was like, oh, wait, yeah. he's not short at all. Yeah. <laughs> not to so, call so people so out, but there's so some people that are a lot shorter than us. So, <laughs> so let's say Ryan is an indigenous person in okay. Montrose okay. who has never hunted. Mm -hmm. um, what would his process be to go through? Would he contact you, or it's would he meet you at a show like this? It's pretty easy. Yeah, there's a on our website. There's a get involved link, so you can click on that. You can and you can sign up to become a mentor, um, donate gear, um, donate land access, or um, sign up to become a mentee to learn how to hunt. And you basically gauge your own level of experience. We have three different tiers to entry. So some folks are coming in who've never camped before. Um, never, you know, gone on maybe a hike or two, but that's it. They don't have any gear, you know, any any reference for how to layer, that kind of thing, um, camping. And so then the next level is folks that have some, you know, outdoor experience. They're, they're comfortable backpacking, hiking, that kind of thing. Um, and the next level is people that actually have done some archery maybe, or like maybe they're, they, um, you know, go shooting or whatever it is, clay shooting, skeet shooting. Um, but they don't hunt. And so being able to translate those to the next level, to the next level, to the next level, to be able to then eventually those mentees will become mentors. Um, and that's the goal. And we've seen it happen already in our own programming. That's awesome. Yeah. So Ryan gets hooked up with a mentor. Mm -hmm. um, is it that they schedule a time and, or, and there's like some sort, or is it more of like an event where, well, August 1st, we're having a, thing where all these people come and we show you how to butcher an animal or where 
what does that look like? We've primarily been event-based um, right now. Our goal is eventually, just because we're, we are young, um, but eventually our goal is to be able to then um, section off um, mentors t with mentees, but, but that's a natural process, we believe, once we build the communities, we build the relationships. So, for example, um, when we, we will schedule the events, but then they continue, like Jacques and Brandon, for example, our men mentor and mentee who are here, we took them on a whitetail hunt last November, and last week they were turkey hunting <laughs> in New York together, you know? But the event is what, how they connected, then they scheduled the time. Um, and then it's, it's for, for safety reasons, you know, we don't want to you know, send two people out in the woods. We vet our mentors very well and thoroughly. We have five different references, you know, we do all, all of the above. But we still, you know, if we haven't met the person, don't want to send one person out in the woods with one other person without, you know, right. not, not liability issue. <laughs> now on the flip side, exactly. Ryan's a white guy. What mm -hmm. if he wants to uh, mentor? Is it like, yeah. no, 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 we don't need any more? No, 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 absolutely, absolutely. What we need more than anything is for folks who are already in in this environment to say the outdoors are for everyone. Yeah, yeah. like come, we have a sticker that says, um, I'm an ally, you're welcome in my camp, you know, just to, just to show that because – we can't ch make changes from the outside, you know, and if the hunting community is 89% male and 70 or 97% white, that's who we need <laughs> to be helping, um, right? Yeah. You know, opening doors. It's going to be a lot harder to get somebody else. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, all right. So this is kind of a, a topic that I, I'm glad that you're here because yeah. uh, I've been wanting to, to talk to somebody about it yeah. um, for a while, and it's kind of going to switch gears here. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit heavily... Uh, well, I don't know if it's heavily debated, but there's there's been a lot of heat on this topic recently. Okay. And that is, um, and I'm just, I want to get, as an indigenous person, yeah. uh, I would like to get your perspective on it. Okay. And that is um, the whole um, allocating public land for strictly indigenous folks to, to hunt on. Yeah, and it is interesting. Um, and I've seen some of that in B.C., um, and then I know Quebec has done a little bit of that too, I think. Um, and I met with the Department of the Interior earlier this year and talked a little bit about that. But I think that, and I've, <laughs> people probably heard me on podcast say this before, I think that uh, when we talk about like indigenous land, for example, like we were at the beginning of this podcast, um, it's so interesting to look at what actual um, territories were. Uh, because we didn't have that idea of like land ownership. It wasn't like we've you know planted a stake and then this is my land, get off, <laughs> get off my land, that kind of thing. We actually like we would move um, based on like the soil, based on you know the trees, based on um, how much wood was available, the, the animals, that kind of thing. But our territories then were expansive and stretched mm -hmm. over, overlapped a ton of different territories, that kind of thing. And so I've always thought that I should be able <laughs> to go hunt on my family's land, my family's ancestral land. Mm -hmm. Because right now there are there are treaty rights um, and in some states it's different. Like I know the state of Washington um, is different. I think indigenous folks can hunt on any reservation land. Um, you might have to ask the tribal council, I'm not sure in the state of Washington. But I think that that makes sense to me, you know, that it's a, it is a, it is a right. Um, it's also part of our identity. You were mentioning earlier the a chief, I can't remember what tribe you're talking about, but a chief who was removed from his land to Florida 
um, that kind of thing. Coaches. And, yeah, and so that's that's something that I'm really sensitive to because so often, even like we talk about the Trail of Tears, um, and that happened. There are many Trail of Tears. People just only know about one. Um, but that removal from a land that means the world to you. Think about a place. Like picture, close your eyes and picture a place that means so much to you. If it's a campground, if it's a you know backcountry spot where you go out, uh, grandpa's house, whatever it is. That love and that for and that desire and to be in that place and to have connection to that place and relationship with that place is that times a thousand. It can't be explained really in Western culture to have that tie to a land where we believe we come from. Our creation stories are often tied to the land, to the mm -hmm. animals, the um, vegetation, whatever it is. And so to be removed from that is so hard. Um, it takes part of your identity away. And being able to hunt the species that you know in your creation story, your relatives often will, will say. Um, and so I think that being able to give indigenous folks the right to hunt ancestral land is Look, huge. You guys didn't always get the most productive land. Yeah, in reservations. In yeah. reservations either. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes you drive through them and you're like, there's nothing. Yeah. 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 Although, like, the one Apache tribe in Arizona did pretty well. They got giant elk on it. Yeah, um, oh. <laughs> but, um, but then the chicken. The, that's a chicken. Angie. <laughs> <laughs> whose fault is that? Uh, <laughs> uh, um, I'm just showing my appreciation for my wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah, and and so so what um, what is it? What typically keeps people? We heard your chicken squawk. I got, I got a cute kid. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. okay. Oh. Okay. Well, we're on a podcast, man. Well, I'm just kidding. No. Ryan, you don't even host this. I'm the host. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, no, um, I was in the middle of a serious question, you asshole. <laughs> uh, no, um, so, so, so what's a... Um, let me get back on track. <laughs> Not think about the squeezing the chicken. Um, oh, you're thinking about choking the chicken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so that what's went a, that went off color? <laughs> and no, and no pun intended. There. <laughs> uh, what, what, uh, what typically keeps like say you're, um, say you're a, a part of the Ute tribe. You have Ute heritage, right? Mm -hmm. What, what would typically keep a person of Ute heritage from hunting on their ancestral land? Is it like private land, or because I, I would assume they obviously can hunt national forest and stuff right yeah, there. Yeah, like, yeah. like, what's the big? Yeah. What's the big? So Hold interestingly enough, I was in Vail like last last month, yeah, a couple weeks ago, um, and we were on Mountain Ute land, and Mountain Ute people were removed in 1887 to Utah, mm. and so that land is now Vail, <laughs> you know, that land is now that uh, a resort, a ski, yeah. you know, a ski. Um, I don't even know how you describe Vail, Breckenridge, those kind of areas. Shit show. Tourist trap. A very expensive place for white people. Yeah, <laughs> white people. The when, de uh, detriment of Colorado. The, yeah, the, the Ute um, actually called themselves the Noosh, uh, which means people of the mountains. And so that's what I mean, that connection to identity through knowing the land, being connected to the land, and then being removed from it. You know, Not that Utah doesn't have mountains, clearly they do, but there's such a difference in, you know, being there in the heart of the Rockies than being in Utah where they've been removed to. And so, sure. so that even is like, you know, d not growing up around your, your culture, not growing up on your territory. Um, and then too, like 
like I was sharing earlier, 71% of indigenous Americans live in urban centers today. I found that shocking. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's wild. Yeah. 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 And I mean, that, that has to be like a, a lot of urban people don't know a whole lot about hunting. They don't have that much of a connection. Their best connection oftentimes is a city park or something like that. And especially if you're in a place like, say, more like the Midwest, where there just isn't a lot of, uh, you know, public lands or Texas. I mean, Texas literally, like literally, I wanted to go to Big Bend a couple years ago, and I ended up driving right through because I couldn't find a piece of public land that I could camp on and let my dogs run. Because in the National Park, you can't do that. And everything, it moves from private to National Park. And really, Big Bend itself is only really in existence. Once again, I think I'm correct here, but uh, test my memory. Um, because a bunch of private citizens got together and started buying a plan to make it a national park. Mm. Really? Hmm. Nice. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, me neither. Um, I was going to mention this earlier, and I totally forgot, but in addressing barriers, too, you, the f- first thing you said um, was about, you know, capital, access to gear, access to, you know, expensive, or even guide services, things like oh, that yeah. that are really expensive. Um, one of the one of the new programs that we're launching uh, midway through the summer this year, I know, the, tur- the chicken. <laughs> Do people on the podcast know what that is? Like, did have you explained this on the podcast we yet? We, this is the it. first one that has been... Been nonstop on, but yeah, that's a that's a rubber chicken. We can blame Angie for it. <laughs> well, no, you can blame me. I bought. We it can blame a, Kevin. I bought it as a gift for Angie. Oh, did you? Yeah, oh, I, Kevin. I, you know, she she always that thinks that I don't think of her. Yeah, so yeah. I bought a giant rubber chicken that makes a weird squawking noise. That that was the anniversary gift this year. Was a, a rubber chicken. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I bought barbecue sauce. <laughs> 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 too. So that was her uh, gift. Nice. <laughs> no, it's very sweet. That's what every woman wants. Yeah, um, <laughs> but. What I was saying is to address that barrier, access to access to gear, uh, in particular, this summer, I think in August, I have to ask our program coordinator, but in August, um, we're launching our, our gear lockers, and we have three locations that are already set up and starting to starting to stock up gear um, through Sitka, Loa Boots, um, REI, um, have so far sent a bunch of gear so that people, like you're talking about your friend who I'd love to get connected to, by the way, um, can come to a gear library and rent out through our program. So people who are signed up as mentees or mentors can come check out, hey, I'm going to go on this backpacking trip or whatever. I'm going to come grab this REI backpack and, you know, shove whatever, <laughs> my seek outside tent in it, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and uh, wear, pull, put on my Loa boots and I'm going to head out, you know, that kind of thing. By the way, the seek outside backpack is way better than the REI. Oh, there we go. <laughs> okay. Hey, but it's not, it's not in our gear locker yet. <laughs> Yeah, 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 but yeah. Denver. So Denver, actually, Denver, um, New York, and uh, Oregon, which is we're based out of Oregon, um, are the three locations for this launch uh, in August. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's that's really I well, think is the biggest one probably thing hold I've, up. One of the things I've noticed, I haven't noticed it recently, but over the last, it's a good and a bad. It's a double-edged sword. Over the last 10, 15 years, a lot of people have gotten back into hunting again. Um, due to groups like BHA or people like Meat Eater or Randy Newberg who, and groups like yourselves that are providing mentoring, etc., right? But it has also made um, hunting far more competitive. So I've noticed that, like, I've seen indigenous people out when I've been hunting before. Um, but 
it's not super often and it's gotten to where at least in my neck of the woods your likelihood of success on public land without having some gear to get back in a ways or pack animals is going to be extremely small. Oh, yeah. Now, I do know another area that I hunt. Um, there is a the big Ute, Ute tribe owns a bunch of land there. It's not officially a reservation, but they use it as a hunting ground. So, um, the fact, basically, the migration route is down yeah. to the Ute land. Um, yeah, and I've seen things like that in Oregon, too. Like, for example, um, Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde, uh, the closest reservation to where we live, um, is an amalgamation of 26 different tribes. So wow. some people marched up to 300, feet, uh, uh, 300 miles on, on foot, um, from even from Northern California, uh, men, women, and children, you know, through the winter to get to this reservation um, that's so far removed from a lot of their, you know, ancestral territories. But it's been really cool. Kalapuya people in particular up and down the Willamette Valley um, often use fishing platforms um, on the Willamette River. And just this last year, they uh, secured fishing rights again and were able to build platforms on the Willamette again in a, yeah. in a space where they hadn't had that right in a long time. Yeah. So are you guys, do you guys uh, face any criticism <laughs> nowadays with your organization i mean what's what's oh, the yeah. general feedback i mean just knowing how politicized everything is right and that's the problem And i think that that is and i always say in proximity we see the least disparity just meaning you know you get us in this in this warm tent together even though the outside's still a little bit cold you get us in this tent together get us talking and we're gonna have way more in common than than people would want us to believe just from the outside right and i hate that everything's been politicized i hate that there's these um false dichotomies of like black and white or yeah. whatever left or right or that kind of thing um because in the end we're all we're all just people we're all humans um we do have different lived experiences and different opportunities in many ways but that's the need for equity and, and need for important conversations that can be difficult um but at the end of the day we're here because we love the outdoors we love nature well, well you, well, throw, you yeah. throw a few internet trolls into the mix oh, oh yeah yeah, yeah. And, and then things go sideways yeah. oh yeah real quick and really get the hate spewing between and everybody and that's what that's what i was going to say the hardest thing that we face is um e from either side actually uh we'll get we'll get folks on the more like racial equity side who are so anti-gun who are so anti-hunting and we are existing in this weird, you know, like, no, we're like, we're fighting for rights. We're like, we're, you know, we're working to create opportunities and spaces um, for, for BIPOC, for people of color. And they don't care. They don't, they don't want to hear about it because really? they're anti-hunting. Wow. Then <laughs> we get to the other side of things where, um, you know, we'll try to try to work with a hunting company or a gear company or whatever it is. And they're like, of color. What are you, some political? What is mm. this, some organized? What is this, some leftist? You know, this. Such a shame. Well, and it is such a shame because we're just people who love hunting and we and need everybody and I, involved. And I, yeah. hate, and I hate to say it, <laughs> but there are companies whose marketing department says, we should get a BIPOC oh, person yeah, yeah. wearing our gear mm -hmm. and put it on front and center of our magazine or whatever. Make it look like we're nice and diverse and <laughs> friendly for everybody. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that also to me is like that's just token. Right. That's not like real, genuine support. Right. That's trying to exploit something to make people think you're woke and you think you're going <laughs> to sell more. Right. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But. I do think, though, that if there's any community that's going to, you know, bridge any sort of gap that there may be, whether it's made up or, or real, 
it's the outdoor community because I mean, you, you walk around here and like, you automatically know that any, I could talk to any random person here and I'd have, I could have a genuine 15 minute conversation yeah. with them just because we all have this one thing in common. 100%. So I think, I think what you guys are doing it, I mean, honestly, hunting and fishing can say solve 90% of the issues in America. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So that, I think is, it's great. All we need is uh, Putin and Zelensky to go on a fishing trip. <laughs> Let's organize <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> Let's do it. Sponsored by Seek Outside. <laughs> yeah. And sit in a teepee and use it as a sauna together. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. I thought that the stove was on in here. That's how impressive these things are. I walked in and I was like, wow, it's nice and warm in here. And it's just the, just the sun. Yeah, I didn't know it was even out today. <laughs> use this thing as a greenhouse. Yeah, That's seriously. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Kevin, you got anything else? No, I I do want to bring up that I I actually thought in your statistics over there that it surprised me that of your groups that want to go hunting that white people were so freaking low on the list. Yeah, it's scary. And, and it's, it's sad. Like, and it's like we dominate the industry right why aren't the youth interested that was a youth study too that was children oh really yeah yeah so we got to do a better job just in the white community yeah Yeah. absolutely you know and we do need each other from all the communities as well yeah Yeah. in in reference really quick that's the 2018 america's wildlife value study um and it yeah and it showed um it shows by or it shows youth interest in future hunting and you're right um all i mean um, I think Hispanic or indigenous was first 32%. Um, and then black was like 18%. Um, Hispanic was 16%. White was like 14% and Asian was 11% or something like that. Those are the youth That's weird. that were polled. That's crazy. Yeah. And so it is, yeah, you should, I mean, if the, if, if, uh, 97% of hunters are white and white kids don't, aren't showing interest in it, we, need we, somebody. we know we're, we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just in terms of conservation dollars for sure exactly yeah, yeah. hunting contributes what 1.6 billion dollars a year or something like that to yeah. conservation every yeah. year yeah yeah, yep. yeah. yeah. gotta yeah. need it yeah all of us <laughs> yeah for sure yep. the yeah the outdoors are for everyone that's yeah. our motto. I, th- I think it's been excellent um you have anything you want to cover no yeah thanks guys this is fun it's fun to have two hosts too i've never had you know we can just have a conversation just wait till we get some whiskey going and oh yeah 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 no <laughs> i know <laughs> bha said the corporate partner cocktail hours starting soon so i might have to oh, go jump yeah. over there oh really yeah yeah um, i got the badge <laughs> good to go oh, well damn, I, I mean you just go over, over the vortex they they got all the booze you want over there anyway oh, yeah, they they you've been a fabulous guest oh yeah. thank you so much for and, having and me and yeah, yeah thanks, thank guys. you it means uh, a lot. You're, you're free to hop on our podcast anytime Awesome. Thanks so, so much, Kevin. Yeah, we'll have to have, a, have to uh, recap the next hunting season and stuff like that, Let's see where it. you guys are at. It'd also be fun to get a mentor or mentee on at some point. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah.